In this episode, we speak with Sean Baer, CEO of Fountain. Founded in 2014, Fountain started with a vision to transform the hiring of hourly workers. The company's purpose-built solution is designed to help companies hire high volumes of workers faster by combining the power of automation with a data-driven applicant tracking system. The company is backed by B Capital Group, SoftBank, DCM Ventures, and Y Combinator, among others. Sean joined Fountain as CEO in 2020. Prior to joining the company, he served as CEO and founder of Stratum, an intelligent mobility and fleet infrastructure platform powering the future of transportation. I'm your host, RJ Limba. We hope you enjoy the show. If you like the episode, click the subscribe. RJ Lumba is the managing partner of GrowthCap and the executive chairman of Market Insight Media. He is the host of Growth Investor, a podcast featuring today's best investors, executives, and founders. In the minutes ahead, we'll uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Absolutely, RJ. It's great to be here. So I thought we'd kick off with actually what Fountain does, because it's a timely conversation to be speaking with you. Frequently, people talk about how hard it is to find the right employees, particularly in the sectors that Fountain is relevant for. And you have a fantastic volume coming through your platform. I think it's over a million workers annually that you're able to place you know, globally. So can we talk about the fountain solution and the power behind it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great place to start. I think if we even step back kind of to the big macro picture, right? You know, you're hearing lots and lots of companies right now doing layoffs, doing cost reductions, hiring freezes, those kinds of things. Those are primarily focused on knowledge workers. I mean, most of the companies that you hear about are sort of doing hiring freezes within the world of knowledge worker, people who sit behind a computer, people who you know spend their time on Zooms and people who write spreadsheets and, and documents and things like that, really critical in the world of work. What you typically don't hear about is layoffs or hiring freezes in the hourly work, the frontline workers, right? That's a market that has continued to grow and continues to see lots and lots of opportunity creating lots of challenges for companies to hire enough hourly workers. Whether you own a warehouse, whether you're doing deliveries of packages and food, whether you're operating a healthcare organization and you need nurses and nurses assistants or a nursing home or a call center, these frontline workers who are kind of doing everything from retail to call centers it's a really, really difficult hiring market, which is great for the worker, by the way. It provides a lot of opportunity for these workers. Workers in the hourly work world have never had as many options for employment, which is a great thing for us. It makes it really painful, though, for companies who are trying to hire. While they may be thrilled about the new opportunities arising for hourly workers, it doesn't make their day job any easier of filling their store, making sure they have enough cashiers or sales associates. So Fountain is really focused on that problem. How do you make sure that if you're a company who is hiring lots and lots of hourly workers to power your business, how do you make sure you have enough of them? How do you make sure you're fully staffed? And our software does just an incredible job for our customers. And we have hundreds of customers around the world 
of helping them get fully staffed in their stores and their warehouses and their call centers and their delivery networks. And when you do that, it makes a massive impact for the business. They go from paying overtime and being late and having people overworking themselves to, all right, our business is operating really well. And so that's that's Fountain's mission. We're out to open opportunities for the global workforce and help organizations that need these hourly frontline workers. Those are the people we're focused on. It's super interesting because 10 years ago, or even 20 years ago, as technology and the internet was coming about, or really starting to boom, people thought, oh, you know, frontline workers, the lower skilled or more commonly skilled workers, those are going to be the ones who are displaced. But in fact, it's the opposite. It's like, we need this line of workers and the pain is particularly acute, say for restaurants or for a landscaping company, or I can rattle off other areas, but frequently, and I've seen this, like you go to a restaurant and and, and they can't seat the tables because there's no waiters, there's no servers. How are you able to find those people? And where did those other people go that left these jobs? I mean, are they working for Uber and DoorDash? Yeah, so actually, it's a really astute point, RJ. Like, I think we had all thought, oh, the internet and the power of technology is going to replace these hourly frontline workers. And I think that actually, to your point, the, the opposite has happened. What's interesting about it is if you think about going back 10 years ago or 15 years ago, most hourly workers walked into the restaurant, asked to speak to a manager, got an application, filled out the application. You know, if you're old enough like me, you know, you, you walked into a fast food store and you sat in the booth and filled it out in pen and then handed it to the manager and said, I really would love to work here and make French fries or hamburgers or tacos or whatever your particular job was. Those days are gone. What's interesting about it is that worker who used to walk into that fast food restaurant now has a phone, smartphone. They're online looking for jobs way before they walk into the fast food restaurant. They've also got apps like Uber and DoorDash and Instacart. And they also have an Amazon warehouse down the block that's paying $15 an hour. And then they also have Target and they've got Taco Bell and McDonald's. So it's all the traditional companies coupled with all of these new things and new ways that I can make money. That makes competition for that labor really, really challenging. I think if you think about the truths that have been true for a long time, it's companies always knew that hiring hourly workers is important, but they always felt like it was relatively easy. If somebody quits, we'll just replace them. It's easier to just replace them. The problem is it's not easy to replace them anymore. And so companies need to find new ways to attract them, new ways to retain them, And so it's kind of what's happening behind the scenes. Why is it so competitive? Hourly workers just have more options. And so you can't just count on them showing up at your front door. How Fountain typically solves this problem is we would tell you, regardless of whether you're working with Fountain, which obviously should be a shameless plug for Fountain, but moving quickly with the people you want is probably the best advice I could give to anyone who is trying to hire. And the reason is that in the world of knowledge work, you want to probably be slow and methodical in your hiring process. You want to take time. You're only hiring one person for this role. You want to take your time and find the perfect person. If you're hiring 10 workers for a warehouse shift, 
and you find somebody who can work the shift hours you need, who lives relatively close to your location, who's over the age requirements you need, and has warehouse experience, you need to sprint. Mm -hmm. You need to like sprint as fast as you can to hire that person. Because I can promise you, your competitor is also going to sprint. Mm -hmm. And in these kinds of roles, whoever gets to those highly coveted workers first just has an unfair advantage, right? Mm -hmm. It kind of makes sense, right? If you are applying for three jobs or five jobs, and in some cases, 10, if one person gets to you within that couple of hours, seems like they're legit, seems like it's a good place to work. If four days later you hear from another company, you're like, look, I'm already far down the path with company A. I'll keep you on hold. I'm not going to do anything with you, though, because I'm going to go work for A. So right. kind of speed is the thing that really helps. And obviously, technology can bring a lot of value there, Fountain being one great example of that kind of technology and automation and speed. And with the speed of hiring, does Fountain also have a training module such that a company can say like, okay, you're hired, like literally halfway through the conversation, they could say, you're hired, when can you start? And by the way, on Fountain, please complete the training modules. Correct. We view our job, our mission, right? To get somebody from, I might want to work for this company to showing up for the first day of work. And Anything we can do along that path, including signing paperwork, handling government forms, scheduling your interview, accepting your job offer, getting trained, schedule your orientation, directions to the location for your first day of work. Those are all things that we would say absolutely want and are included inside Fountain with the singular goal of you found that person that has that perfect experience to power your business. Let's make sure that between the day they're starting their application to the day they actually show up for the first day of work, we want to make sure they have just a great experience throughout that entire process. Excellent. Now, one would think that there could be fairly frequent turnover, just given the types of jobs that are on the platform. Are you able to kind of re retain that community of workers or is quite a few that just drop off for one reason or another? What's interesting here is depending again on the industry, you have pretty high turnover. That's always been a core problem within the hourly work world. You and I probably had an hourly job at one point and didn't work there for 10 years, for instance. You probably worked there for a summer or you worked there for a year while you're at school or you worked there for a couple of years after school or some version of that. Very similar for this population. They're going to turn over. They're going to find new opportunities. What we would tell our customers is, Take care of them during the application process. Take care of them all the way through their first day and then make sure they have a great experience at the job. You know, that doesn't mean that they're probably going to work for you for 20 years. That's probably not realistic. But anything you can do in your value proposition to make sure that they're having a great experience from the very first moment they look at your website to all the way through the first day, through the first week, through the first month, everything you can do to provide a really great experience is going to prevent you from having to go out sooner and hire somebody else to do that same job. It's a really, really important part of this story. But yeah, more to come there. Yeah, I've got a lot of questions. I'm trying to fit them all in. 
One is that I did notice on your LinkedIn page, you list out the benefits of working, actually working at Fountain, the company itself. And it seems like it'd be a dream job for anyone to get all those benefits. And I know you're experienced in this area of corporate leadership. Tell us about your philosophy to hiring and to building an organization. It's a really great question. You know, I've I've been very fortunate. I've helped build four companies. Three have been successful and including uh, an IPO and built them into very large organizations. And Fountain, I think, will be the biggest success story of the four. Look, my philosophy has been pretty consistent, I think, right? Number one, I think you provide these great benefits, right? I think, you know, all founders, including myself, enjoy lots and lots of great benefits. We're always trying to make sure that the employees we have are well-rewarded, well-compensated, and have a lot of equity within the company so that when we become successful, they see some of that success. What I typically don't subscribe to is sort of the fake morale boosting. Generally, you know, throwing parties to try to get people to be happier about working for you. I think generally most employees are smart enough to see through that and they see it for what it is. Of course, they'll probably take your free hors d'oeuvres and your free drinks and and enjoy them. But I think you'd be fooling yourself to think that that is what builds a great organization. I think what builds great organizations is, one, succeeding right? People come to join you in success. And so building a company that is winning, very similar to any team sport, right? You could be the best basketball player ever. If you're on a team that loses 75% of the games, you're not having any fun. And you could be a pretty good basketball player, maybe not even a starter. Maybe you're on the bench. Your team starts winning. Everything seems fun again. So Making sure your company is strategically sound, succeeding at the game you're playing, that's number one. But that's not enough because just winning doesn't do enough for a company like ours. The second thing that I think is really important is employees need to feel like they have a contribution to that winning. And frankly, a noteworthy contribution, not like a little contribution, a big contribution. If you can pair a winning team with employees who feel like they are contributing to that win, you will not have retention problems. You will not have unhappy employees. You will have people who are excited to be at work, love being at work. And frankly, it means that you have a certain kind of population of employees that are focused on, hey, I want to be in a company that's winning and I want to have a part in that winning. I want to make a contribution to that winning, whether it be I'm on the the HR team or I'm on the finance team or I'm a salesperson or I'm an engineer or I'm a marketing person. doesn't really matter. But win as a team and have people feel like they're contributing are really, really powerful levers in building businesses. Fantastic. The podcast is premised on this growth aspect and growing companies. And we focus on the impact that investors have on the business. You know, you have some well-known investors that you have SoftBank and you have B Capital. Can you tell us about some of the value that these investors have brought to the table aside from the you know financial capital? Yeah, it's a great question. So the reason why I love the podcast and I love talking about this is like, I tell our team all the time, we're in the growth business. 
there are some companies that are not in the growth business, right? There are lots of older public companies that pay a dividend. They're not in the growth business. They're in the profits business. We're in the growth business. Growth is the best coin in the realm for our uh, Tolkien fans or our uh, Game of Thrones fans that are listening. But growth is the best coin. Now, what's interesting about 2023 and, and frankly, the latter half of 2022, and I believe going forward for a period of time here, it's not growth at all costs. It's smart growth. It's sustainable growth, uh, which I think is really healthy for most technology companies right now is you still have to grow. Growth is still the coin, but it needs to be sustainable growth. It needs to be something that you can do reliably, that you can do with the capital you have and put yourself in a position to one day generate free cash flow for your investors, gross margin for your investors. I've been really fortunate. The investor base we have at Fountain, you know, we've raised over $200 million for the company. Our investors, obviously, we love their capital. We deploy it really well to, again, build that sustainable growth. But they're also really, really astute leaders in their own right. They help us think through what are the next steps strategically. So that's kind of one half of it is helping me think through and the leadership team here think through, where do we want to go over the next 12, 24, 36 months, right? And how does that compare with other companies that might be doing similar things? The great thing about most great investors is they have a pattern recognition that I'll never have. I have patterns from the four companies that I've helped build. So I've got some patterns, but you know our investors see hundreds of companies in their career. And so their pattern recognition, their ability to say, I've seen this before. Here are the two things to look out for. That's been really, really helpful. I think the other thing that's great about our investors, they are smart enough to provide amazing strategic insight and pattern recognition and comparables to other companies, and even smarter to sort of stay out of the way of the day-to-day operations of the business. You know you found a great investor when they know that they can help out strategically but they're not trying to help you kind of manage the day-to-day. And, I, and I'm very fortunate that our investor base is highly supportive of Fountain and lets us run the business. It's interesting because on one side of it, it's, I guess, a marketplace or a network of sorts where you're matching buyer and seller. And the other part to it is it's a you know software platform to enable that kind of seamless workflow of hiring and training and retaining. What's been the most challenging aspect of really thinking how to scale this business and kind of like enter into what some call escape velocity? I'll give you an example. We had sold the software to very small businesses a number of years ago, you know, selling to kind of an individual restaurant, for instance. And we did that. It was going okay. It was not great. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but generally selling software to the SMB market is a challenging business. Small business owners have a tough time as it is beyond paying software fees for things. And it was one of the businesses actually killed here. I basically decided that that was not going to be our focus. Maybe not forever, because I know Fountaineers may be listening to this. I'm not saying we'll never do that, but I'm telling you that's not what we're doing today is is focusing on, on that part of the business. You know, I think a little bit about the trend of like product-led growth, right? And how do you 
get a freemium model or things like that in terms of how do you scale growth? I think one thing that we've seen is the solution we have is really perfected via an enterprise sales methodology. And so we're looking at improving our sort of enterprise sales capability versus sort of like the freemium model or kind of going door to door with small businesses. There may be some other companies that want to go do that. And I I wish them well on that journey. Got it. Okay. Well, we're, we're coming up on time. I've got two final questions that I typically like to ask on these interviews. One is, can you tell us about a book that you've read that has had an impact on you, or you can simply provide a book recommendation? Let's see. What have I read recently? I just read Power Failure, which was William Cohen's book on GE, which was really, really amazing to read. I had read a bunch about Jack Welch a couple of years ago, but this Power Failure book, by the way, if you haven't seen it, it's not for the faint of heart. It's 700 plus pages. So you've got to be really dedicated and you really have to be excited about the intricacies of running a business or else you will probably give up at some point. Um, But one of the things I found interesting about the book is GE was in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. It was like Google and Microsoft combined. It was the most valuable company in the United States of America, right? And obviously, it's come upon hard times. So that's that's one book that I've read recently that I found really, really interesting for readers. That's, that's a timely book, I would say. Another one that's really interesting is I reread the, the Challenger Sale, which is, I think, a seminal work in helping companies figure out how to sell their products better. And it's been really, really powerful to go back and reread it and and dive into it. So those are some things that I found really interesting. Last question. Can you tell us about a person you admire? It doesn't have to be a business person. It could be someone in another domain. That's a really great question. Who do I really admire? I tend to look up to CEOs that are out to make a profound difference on this planet. And you you think about the founder of Patagonia is somebody who boy, what an impact, right, that, that you can have on this earth, right? An impact that probably will outlast your brief moment on this planet. I always think about the statement, I don't know how it goes exactly, so I'm going to kill it, but a wise person plants elm trees under which they will never sit under that shade. Mm-hmm. They're planting something that someday somebody will sit under those trees and have some shade, but not in their lifetime. And so you're sort of planting something for the next one. So maybe not just the founder of Patagonia, but anybody that's out who is trying to do something that is going to outlast them being on this planet for this short time we all get here is really inspiring and somebody I look up to. Good note to end on. Well, Sean, want to thank you again for taking the time. I know our audience will find this very insightful. RJ, great to have me. Thanks so much. 